following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I want to invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to open up to Psalm 149. Or if you have a Bible app, go ahead and tap your way over there. Psalm 149 is where we're going to be. We are in part two of our series, So Will I?, And we're talking about the topic of worship and praise and what that means to worship the Lord. And so Psalm 149 is where we'll be. Uh, Last week we were in Psalm 148. In this series we're taking a look at the last three chapters of the book of Psalms and exploring what they teach us and instruct us. Uh, And so hopefully you've had time to tap your way over there. I want to say a special welcome as well to those watching online, wherever you may be, and those in our pilot campus. The beautiful thing of technology is we can be in multiple places in our facility and multiple places around the world and sit together under God's teaching and truth. Uh, And so excited about that. Uh, I'm going to invite you, just because uh, you just sat down, I'm going to invite you to stand back up. So go ahead and stand up with me. Uh, Up, down, up, down. It's not football practice. It's church, but it's okay. Uh, Psalm 149. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. Standing is just sometimes a good posture to have when we read God's word. It's a reminder that we stand up because this isn't someone's opinion. This isn't just someone who had thoughts and they wanted to utter them out. No, this is God's word. And so I want to read this to you and it's our honest conviction that whether you've been following Jesus for decades or you are brand new to this and aren't, and aren't quite sure what you believe, that there is truth and power in this word for you today. See, here's what it says in Psalm 149. Go ahead and follow along quietly as I read out loud. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, this is honor for all of God's, all of his godly ones, praise the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Very good. So this psalm... Psalm 149 happens to be a part of a collection of psalms known as the Hallelujah Psalms. And the reason they're called the Hallelujah Psalms is that they begin and end with the word Hallelujah. Now when we read it just a moment ago, we read the words praise the Lord. I remember, I think I was in college the first time that someone told me that the word Hallelujah actually has a meaning beyond just hallelujah. It's not an onomatopoeia word. Uh, It's a word that has a specific definition assigned to it. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And this idea of hallelujah is a command that's issued in these psalms, beginning and ending with this simple word, an instruction and a command to praise the Lord. Now, let's define that word praise. Praise is one of those words that sometimes the definition can escape our understanding. To, To praise something is to put to words the wonder that's in your heart. Praise is uh, attaching words, expressing words with your mouth that in some way portray this wonder in your heart you have over something. 
And so in this passage, we're commanded, and in Psalm 146 and 47 and 48 and 50, 150, we're commanded to praise the Lord. This is God's desire for us to praise him. In fact, last week we learned about the simple truth that we exist as human beings for hallelujah. You may wonder, what's the meaning of life? What's my purpose in life? Here it is. Hallelujah. That's your purpose. God made you to praise the Lord. And so, uh, just think about it like this. Anybody here, uh, a car person? You like cars? Any car people in the room? Okay, a few of you, very good. Uh, Cars these days can do a whole lot of things. Now they'll play music wirelessly. Uh, Cars can, some cars can, you can play movies in them. Some cars are electrical. Cars can do many, many things. But cars, make no mistake, were made to drive. That's why they exist. Uh, Windex, if you watch Greek movies, can do many things, okay? Can do many things, but make no mistake, Windex was made for a specific purpose. Windex was made to clean glass. Vicks Vaporub can do many things. If you're a Cuban and you have an abuela in your life, Vigvaburub can do many things, okay? Some of you are laughing, others are like, what is that? Don't worry about it. It can do many, but don't make any mistake. It was initially made to help give you some cleansing, some, some breathing ability. Human beings, we were made, and we can do many things. A whole lot of things. But make no mistake, we were made to praise the Lord. That is your purpose and my purpose. We may not be living in that purpose, but that is nonetheless its purpose. And this psalm here begins and ends with this hallelujah declaration, calls us and invites us to praise the Lord in a number of different ways. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this chapter in three sections. So I'm going to go ahead and lay it out for you. If you're following along and taking notes, hopefully you have a place to write some notes down. That's a helpful practice to help you digest and remember uh, what we're studying. So go ahead and write these three words down. They all begin with the letter M. You're welcome. Here's the first one. The first one is the word making. The second one is the word uh, motivation. And then the third is the word mission. That's going to help divide our time. Making, motivation, and mission. So let's look at the first section. The first three verses of this psalm teach us the making of a hallelujah. What makes up a hallelujah? What makes up a praise the Lord? And we're going to find out that it's our delight in God. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So this command to praise the Lord has with it some instructions for how we're to do that. He says, praise the Lord and then sing to the Lord a new song. He says, sing to the Lord a new song in a particular location, in a particular context. Sing to the Lord among the congregation, among the assembly. In other words, sing to it with other followers of Christ, with other believers. So he commands us to do this. It's not an option on a menu. It's a clear command, an imperative from God. And this is not just an Old Testament thing. This is a New Testament thing. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How are we to do this? By teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And so singing is one of the ways in which God has prescribed that we offer our hallelujah to him. So connect the dots with me. If we were made for hallelujah, if that's why we exist, right now your heart is beating for hallelujah, right now you're here to praise the Lord, if that's who you are and that's your purpose and one of the primary ways that God prescribed for his people to offer their hallelujahs is through song, through singing. And this ought to warrant our intention. In fact, that's why if you hang around here for any length of time, you'll notice we sing. We sing, we sing together. We sing uh, at the beginning of our services. We sing sometimes at the end of our services. We sing. Why do we sing? Well, we are commanded by God to sing. It's a way to give expression to this wonder in our heart, this hallelujah we have. And so what we're going to do is look closely at verse 2, and it's going to show us how if you were to take the word hallelujah, the concept of praising the Lord, and look under the hood and see what are the internal components that make up a hallelujah, what you'll find is that at its core, a hallelujah is to delight in the Lord. It's to find joy and satisfaction and hope. It's to say to the Lord, you are my treasure. It's to say, I just want you and nothing else. That at its core, worship, a hallelujah, is to delight in the Lord. Look again at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, let Israel be glad in his maker and let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. To delight in God has this necessary result where we end up praising God. I want to read this quote to you. This is from a gentleman by the name of C.S. Lewis. He was an Oxford scholar who became a Christian later on in his life. He was a a career academic, and uh, during his time in academia, he started hearing about Jesus and had friends who were followers of Jesus and would talk to him about Jesus, and he eventually became a Christian. And here's how he described the relationship between enjoying someone or something, delighting in someone or something, and praising Look at what he says. This is what he says in his book, uh, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Think about the insight that Lewis offers here. He says, praise is more than compliment. So when I say to my wife or I say to someone who made a meal for me, I I say, hey, the baked ziti was delicious. That's a compliment. But when I look at someone, I say, I love you. When I look at them and it just comes out almost without restraint, like I can't keep it back in, that's praise. And it's not just that I'm putting words to it, I'm actually completing the enjoyment and delight. So Psalms 149 is this commission to praise the Lord and the way we do that is by uttering our delight in the Lord. It's by allowing our enjoyment of who God is, our joy for who God is and what he's done for us to bubble up into expressing it. Like we can't keep it in. Uh, This is why YouTube videos go viral. Uh, Somebody watches a video they think is hilarious. It is a reflex. It's an instinct. What we do when we enjoy something is we share it. 
We say to our friend, hey, you've got to watch this. It's amazing. It's hilarious. You go to another person, you post it on your social media, hey, you have to watch this. This is incredible. What are we doing? We are continuing to enjoy what we just experienced. And the call to a hallelujah is a call to enjoy God, to reflect on, meditate on, experience who God is, and allow that to reach its inevitable conclusion in praise. And when you forget to utter the praise, it's like finding and discovering something remarkable and having no ability to share it with someone. You just have to say it. You have to express it. You have to uh, declare it with your words. And so this passage here is uh, also immensely practical in a couple of ways. But first, it's practical in the way that it breaks down two different ways that we are to be glad in God. In verse 2, it says, For Israel to be glad in God their maker... And then it says in the second line in verse two, to rejoice in God, your king. Here's how this is helpful. Uh, There are some of us in this room uh, who are more prone to uh, viewing ourselves with self-loathing. Some of us who our temptation and our struggle is we look at ourselves and we think we're worthless. Uh, This is the the person who has this stream of self-talk where the thoughts in your mind that resound is, you are worthless, you won't amount to anything, how could anyone ever love you? This is the place that some of us find ourselves in, where we can't stand who we are, we self-loathe. And then there are others of us who aren't in this particular poll, we find ourselves in another poll. Our struggle is we love ourselves a little too much. Uh, When we wake up in the morning, get dressed, we linger at the mirror and enjoy what we see a little too much. You know what I'm saying? Uh, This is the person who walks into a room and thinks everything ought to cater to them. Because they're the center. They're they're the boss. They're important. And so where the first person has way too low a view of who they are as a person made in the image of God, there's the other extreme where we view ourselves so highly we think we're God. And this passage, calling us to raise a hallelujah, is so practical for both. You see, for the one who's over here in this spectrum and says, yeah, my struggle is I constantly think I'm worthless. Who could ever love me, let alone how could God love me? What you need to hear is what Psalm 149 verse 2 says, let Israel rejoice in God their maker. God made you. Your heavenly father who is perfect and flawless made you. Things about yourself, the quirks that may frustrate you, God made you. He makes no mistakes. He is good. He is the one who assigns worth and value to you. That is not your business to do. His truth is what matters, so I rejoice. I'm glad in God, my maker. He's the one who made me. If he made me, he sets the terms. He gets to call the shots. My hallelujah is I am rejoicing in my creator, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so for the one who has too low a view of themselves, this hallelujah has a way of raising you up to see yourself in the light that God sees you. Then for those of us who are over here, The challenge and the danger over here in this place of arrogance is that arrogance often has with it a twin buddy named blindness. You can't even tell. You can't even see. You think you're totally normal. 
can't be self-aware of the fact that you're so arrogant and the need for a hallelujah for the person who thinks too highly of themselves is to rejoice in God their king. I'm not the king. He is the king. A king, by definition, rules over me. A king, by definition, sets the terms. A king, by definition, runs this thing. And we as human beings who despise authority hang out with a few toddlers for a little bit of time, see how much humans despise authority. But as human beings who don't like authority, our invitation is to rejoice in that we have a king who rules over us. And for the person who thinks too highly of themselves, this has a way of humbling you, of helping you to see yourself rightly in light of who God is. Or hallelujah, where are you at? What, what necessitates your hallelujah? This is the making of a hallelujah, our delight in God. The second part of this chapter, we're gonna look at verses four through five now. This is gonna show us the motivation behind a hallelujah. The motivation behind a hallelujah, God's delight in us. Look at verses four through five. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So why do we delight in God? Why do we offer up a hallelujah to God? Because of the miracle of verse four. In fact, the first line of verse four should, ought to, if we think about it, stop us dead in our tracks. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Here's why that's remarkable. Because I know me. And you know you. And God, who has infinite knowledge, knows me more thoroughly and knows you more thoroughly and God knows not just the version of us that's the version of us on our first date. God knows the version of us, uh, not just the version of us when we're at an interview and trying to be our best. God knows the version of us that's not just when we are having company over and we're sweeping furiously as they're pulling into the driveway, wiping down counters, trying to, yes, I live like this all the time. The house is put together, right? This is my constant state of being, right? God knows us beyond that exterior facade that looks so pretty. He knows the real you and he knows the real me. He knows the moments when we have thoughts of jealousy and anger towards even the people we love. He knows us when we have thoughts that we have those moments that we think, wow, I did not even know I was capable of thinking such awful thoughts. God knows the real us, the true us, at our core of who we are. And this verse says, God takes pleasure in his people. He delights in his people. How can this be? God, who is perfect and holy and just and righteous, has looked upon unrighteous and imperfect people like us. And though there is this chasm between us and God, this infinite gap that we can't jump, we're not good enough to climb up, we can't make it, God has miraculously made a way. God entered into human history in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the God-man. And Jesus, the perfect one, Jesus who lived his life as a flawless hallelujah before God, Jesus was crucified. 
He was delivered over to death. He takes our sin and our guilt and our shame. He takes the punishment that our sins deserve on himself. You see, the Bible talks about how when we're born and brought into this world, left to ourselves, our relationship with God is one of hostility. That we want to be our own God. I want to run my life. I want to make my own decisions. And God has looked at us who have discarded and rejected him. And he's made a way, opened the gates of salvation open so that he can say, I delight in you. And the way he's done that is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, as a sacrifice, takes your sin and your guilt. He dies. He was buried. Your sin, your guilt, and shame left in the tomb. And then three days later, he rose up in victory, defeating sin and death, and now calls anyone and everyone to follow him. And by receiving what Jesus has done, Psalm 149, verse 4, can be true of your life. It says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. How can we be a part of his people? Only Jesus. Not anything we can do. Only Jesus. Receiving what Jesus has done. Believing in what Jesus has done. And there are some here today, right now, in this room, some watching online right now, who you need to hear this. God can delight in you and look at you with the same fatherly affection that he looks on his perfect son, Jesus, if you trust in him. But if you'll just turn from your sins, hear the invitation. God invites you to connect to your purpose, to offer your first hallelujah by turning to Jesus and trusting and receiving what Jesus has done, done for you in your place. Uh, you know, one of the things about parenthood, about being a mom or a dad that's interesting and unique to parenting is that as parents, we have these, these things we do with our kids that we, would, we wouldn't do in any other environment, uh, that we hadn't done before until you became a parent. Uh, one of the things that I, I ca catch myself doing all the time, I know I'm not alone in this, is I'll catch myself just walking by my son's room or going over the bassinet with our small four-month-old and just staring at them while they sleep. Isn't that just this sweet mo? You watch them and you stare at them. Now, in any other setting, I don't recommend this, okay? <laughs> the next time you're on a flight and your neighbor falls asleep next to you, right? Right, not, not appropriate, okay? You might get slapped in the face. If your neighbor at church is falling asleep, you can stare at them, okay? That's where it's permissible, okay? No, but if you're falling asleep, no context is that normal. But why do we stare at our children while they sleep? What are we doing? We're delighting in them. We look at them with delight. That's my child. I love them. See, this psalm is saying that God looks at his children and he looks at them with pleasure and delight in his heart. This is the motivation behind why we offer a hallelujah. Because of the miracle that God would delight in us. The miracle that God has made a way for imperfect, broken sinners like you and like me to be made right with him. And so this is why we offer our hallelujah. God has delighted in us. And there may be some of you, followers of Jesus in this room, there may be some of you who've you've just forgotten that. You've forgotten. God doesn't just love you. He also likes you. 
He delights in you. That when he sees you, even though we are flawed and broken, he sees the perfection of his son Jesus with a father's delight. He says, that's my child. They're mine. And let that just wash away the, the worries and fears in your life. That's what a hallelujah can do. <laughs> a praise the Lord can do. To worship him and to come to terms with the God who delights in us. The miracle that God could delight in us. Here's the third part. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9. The mission for more hallelujahs. The mission for more hallelujahs. This is our purpose in the city. That's why we're here. Look at verses 6 through 9. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now, perhaps when we first read this, and then again when we read this now, you notice that this took kind of an escalating turn. It went from, hey, let's praise the Lord with tambourines, get your banjo out, run in a circle, dance, it's awesome, God is good, rejoice, get your sword ready, right? It's, it's abrupt, what, what's happening here? In fact, this happens all through the book of Psalms. All throughout it, you'll be reading about how we're to praise the Lord and delight in how he's made us wonderfully and give him thanks and then be ready for battle. Now, this particular book of the Bible, we have to understand in history, it's written originally to the nation of Israel. Written originally a few thousand years ago to the nation of Israel. And in this time, the way God operated on earth is he primarily used one nation, the nation of Israel, he adopted this nation, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he intended for Israel, Israel to be a light to the nations so that when other nations around Israel would see how they lived and how they treated others and how they treated even other nations, that they would see and understand who God is. And there were times when Israel lived up to that calling and there are times when they did not live up to that calling. But also, God used Israel to be instruments of his justice and judgment on nations that were cruel, wicked, and violent, that rejected his good authority over their lives and instead persisted in worshiping their own gods. And so God would use Israel as a nation to exact vengeance on those who have forsaken the Lord. And we also read in Parts of the Bible where Israel, when they had become cruel and violent and wicked, God used other nations to bring judgment on them. God is an equal opportunity justice deliverer. He shows no partiality. Now here in this passage, it's this picture of the people, the congregation, worshiping and offering praise to God with swords in hand ready for battle. What's this picture of? Well, just one observation. Although this passage is most definitely, most definitely written to all people, men, women, children, everyone. This is a war song. There is a particular connotation to this chapter that is addressing men in particular. You see, in this time, men were the ones who wielded the sword. They were the ones who were called by God to be the protectors, to be the ones who would go out into battle. 
So those who had swords drawn were called to sing their hallelujahs ready before they go out into battle with this war song on their hearts. This is addressing men. And men were not just called or tasked to be the ones who would go out into battle trusting in the Lord, but they were also the ones to be the lead worshipers that hallelujahs would boom most loudly and triumphantly from the throats and vocal cords of men. And the great irony, the great sabotage, we might say, is that today in our culture, especially in the West, it seems to be that there has been something that has robbed manhood and masculinity of singing to the Lord. There's this perception that singing is weak or singing is effeminate or singing is inappropriate. Men don't do that. There's this sense in which we're told, we believe somehow that that's just not for us. And the image we're given time and time again in the Bible is, no, we are all called to sing to the Lord. Not as an option on a menu, as a command. And so men, do you realize, specifically I want to talk to Christian men, those who claim to follow Jesus, do you realize what you miss out on when you stand aloof in worship? When you could be present in the body, but absolutely absent. Do you realize what you miss out on when you believe the lies of our culture that say, oh, that's not for you, you shouldn't sing, that's not appropriate. Do you realize what you miss out on? You miss out on delighting in the Lord who has delighted in you. He's invited you to continue that joy that you have in your heart to express it in the way that it necessarily must go in praise. You miss out. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, this is just a way to really to honor my own dad. Uh, growing up, I grew up in the church, as some of you may have grown up in, in church. And uh, I remember as a young kid, I, I saw my dad sing in church, very common thing to see him sing in church. And that in itself is a huge step. Not all dads would, would sing in church, in the church that I was a, a part of. So I, that, that's great. But there came a moment, there came a season in my dad's life where God was doing something in his heart and his singing in church really became a hallelujah. I, there was wonder in his heart that started to get expressed with his song. And I could see this change. And I remember being a 16, 17, 18-year-old boy and not that I go to church and stare at my dad the entire time. And I knew he wasn't thinking of me or wondering what I would think if I looked at him. He was just in that moment, he was offering his hallelujah to the God who delighted him. The God in whom he delights. And in that moment, I remember 16, 17, 18 year old Justin watching this transformation happen in my dad. Something that was unique and I was like, I haven't seen this before. And God used my dad's hallelujah to stir up a deeper hallelujah in me. Dads, do you realize the influence that God has given you? Do you realize the privilege you have, men, that God has given you, that in a world where some might say singing is not for you, that your hallelujah can boom from your voice and though your audience is him, your audience is your king and your savior, it's about our delight in him, it's not about what others may think, make no mistake, there are little eyeballs watching. And they are learning something about your heavenly father by the way that you interact with him. 
There is power in that. And so maybe, just maybe, fellas, the, the act of obedience, the next step for you is to make that simple step of lifting to your voice to God in song. Something so small and yet so huge. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Don't miss out on offering a hallelujah to connect to your very purpose. Now, just to be frank, uh, we aren't the nation of Israel. Uh, we're the church. And this passage, though originally addressed to Israel, applies to us differently than it applied to them. We aren't in here with swords drawn. But make no mistake, we are in a battle. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 says this. For we walk in the flesh... For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So the Apostle Paul, a man who was deeply Jewish in his heritage, he writes here to the church at Corinth and he reminds them, listen, we are in a battle. But this battle is not against flesh. Our weapons are not physical weapons. We are in a battle, a spiritual battle to destroy strongholds. That there is an enemy who has strongholds established in our cities and in our nations. That there is an enemy and his forces of evil, the demonic spiritual forces of darkness with their captain Satan are seeking to drag down and destroy what God wants to make beautiful and glorious. And he says, we are in this battle against these strongholds and we have the divine weapon to destroy them. And so this is our mission in the city. We are on a mission for more hallelujahs. That in places where formerly curses were offered, hallelujahs might be lifted up. That in strongholds in our city where children have been neglected, like we've been talking the past few weeks, we've been talking about the need in our city for foster, for foster care. Hundreds of children in our city. The enemy has a stronghold where parents have abdicated their responsibility as parents. And their children are placed into a system and they don't have a mom and dad anymore. And where there is a stronghold of the enemy, the call is to go to those spaces, those dark places, and shed a light of hope to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. In our city, in our community, women are often objectified. Sex trafficking, child slavery, realities happening right here in our area codes. Strongholds of the enemy, right here in our city, lostness, people convinced they don't need God, that they can be their own gods. The enemy has convinced them and duped them into believing they're good just themselves. It's the ancient lie of the serpent. Started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And our calling, our mission in the city is to offer up and to seek after more and more hallelujahs. This is our mission. I love how John Piper puts it in one of his books, Let the Nations Be Glad. Here's what he says about missions. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. If our purpose for existence is to worship the Lord, to hallelujah, if that's the purpose for which we exist, then our mission, 
our communication of the good news of Jesus and our intentional living out of the kingdom of Jesus. Our mission is so that more worship might be offered to God. Missions exist because worship doesn't. In fact, we have a team right now in Puerto Rico who is on a mission trip seeking to communicate the good news of Jesus and represent the kingdom of Jesus right there. Why? So that people might connect to their purpose as worshipers. So that they might come to know the one true living God, to lift up the hallelujah that they were made to offer. This is our mission in the city. This is why we exist as a church. That places where darkness and evil, that hard places, might be turned into and transformed into refuges of hope. That is our calling. That's why we exist. See, it starts and ends with hallelujah. Beginning and end. Hallelujah. The making of a hallelujah is our delight in God. So makes it up. We delight in him. We enjoy him. So we can't help but praise him. Of course, I can't keep the song from coming out because I just can't help myself. And the motivation behind our hallelujah is God's delight in us. That God would look at us and look at you with delight, affection, and love. And then our mission for more hallelujahs. We're in a battle. We are in a battle. And we fight our battle with spiritual weapons, with the word of truth, with the power of prayer, with mercy and justice, with representing God's kingdom here on earth. Do you realize when you invite someone to church, you are inviting them to their purpose? They were made to worship God. You're inviting them into their purpose. Do you realize when you share the good news of Jesus, you're connecting people to their purpose, you're inviting people to what they were made for. In a moment, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing and we're gonna close with an opportunity for all of us to raise a hallelujah. And we have so many reasons to sing. And there are probably all sorts of thoughts swirling in your mind. Maybe you're just thinking about what happens next or where you gotta go to or run to. You're in a hurry, you gotta pick up the kids. But would you just for a moment realize who God is and what it means that he delights in you that he looks at you with fatherly affection. And so in a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity. And so would you raise a hallelujah because he saved you? Raise a hallelujah because he's rescued you? That you were once one person, but you are not that person anymore? Would you raise a hallelujah because he's been faithful? When you've been hurting and in pain, he was faithful. And when you've been rejoicing, he's been faithful. Would you raise a hallelujah because he has redeemed your past. It no longer defines you. Raise a hallelujah because he is actively right now in this moment guiding your present. And raise a hallelujah because he has your future in his hands. We can raise a hallelujah because we can't help ourselves. Because he's been so good to us. Because we're overwhelmed. And maybe just maybe, for the first time, there are some of you here who for the first time will utter a hallelujah 
out of the true wonder in your heart, realizing that God has made a way for you to know him through Jesus, and your hallelujah right now in this moment might be your way of saying, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I put my hope and my trust in you. I believe that you are my savior and my king. I turn from my life my own way and I turn towards your ways. Would you bow for prayer with me? Father in heaven, we have more reasons to sing than we can count. You have blessed us beyond what we deserve. We thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but you have forgiven us. Lord, we bless you. You have set our feet on solid ground. You have our future in your hands, Lord. You are good, and so we raise our hallelujah to you. We thank you because you're faithful. We thank you because you're wise. Lord, we thank you because you've redeemed us and rescued us, Lord. You've saved us. We thank you, Lord. We have a song to sing. We have a hallelujah to offer because we know the one true living God that our past no longer defines us. We have new life in Jesus. We raise our hallelujahs to you, Lord. And Lord, I pray right now for the person in this room, for the people in this room who have never received your good news, who have never trusted in you, that right now in this moment, they would reach out to you. They would receive what you've done and say yes to Jesus that they would connect to their purpose and worship you. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And so we sing our hallelujah to you and you alone. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.